0: We have super preachers, and super churches, and super ministries. What would the Apostle Paul say as the superstars of evangelicalism strut their stuff, and the crowds cheer? The Corinthian church had the biggest stars in the first century, and they worshiped them. Let's join our study leader, Dave wortson in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as he exposes a false worship
1: and the dire results in God's family.
0: We worship preachers. You know what else we do? We crucify preachers. We do it to our political leaders. We do it to our spiritual leaders as well. We bow and scrape and serve them. We will be chauffeurs, we will put them up in the beautiful hotels, we will give them all kinds of money, we'll send them on fantastic vacations, we will bow and scrape before them, we will go to hear them speak, and the bigger the preacher, the bigger the crowd. But then we'll kill them. Because we'll get them higher and higher and higher. And they'll forget that they're just human beings. They'll forget that they're just people, just like you and me. I've been with some of the most famous preachers. You can't even eat a regular meal with them. You sit down at the table. They don't even talk to you. They don't have time to talk to on a regular conversation. They only talk to 50,000 people at a time. And I'm being extreme. But we create a superstar. I've been with some of the superstar Christians where they have, you know, you have a, a whole entourage. When I was a kid, we used to jokingly talk about it. Let's make way for the king. Prepare for the king and his court. It was just like that. Man, you'd have the advanced people come in. You'd have hairdressers and all kinds. You'd be amazed. And all of us want that. You see, there's a part of you, the reason that we as people do that for movie stars, we do it for politicians, we do it for preachers, because that's what we all want. But most of us can't have it. But if we can give it to somebody else... Then we feel while well, the illusions there, somewhere out there, there's that great hero, that great leader, that great king, and that's all sick. And that person that's up on that kind of a pedestal loses touch with their humanity, loses touch with the fact that they're just a normal person, wrestling with very difficult problems. There's a whole lot of clay in us. And they get higher and higher and higher. And they begin to think that they're divorced from real temptation. And they really will not be overcome. And then Satan takes a sledgehammer and knocks them out. And when they fall off their pedestal, then we stomp all over them. And start with another leader that we can worship. That's exactly what was going on in the Corinthian church. You see, the Apostle Paul came and founded the church. And he was a simple preacher. Not very eloquent, Not very powerful in physical appearance, but very filled with the Holy Spirit and very clear in his presentation of the gospel. So when Paul came to Corinth, the Holy Spirit laid the foundation upon the cross of Calvary and the message of a dead Savior who died in our place and a message of the resurrection and people were born again and the church was founded in Corinth. Then the Lord took Paul away. Because Paul's special gift from the Holy Spirit was to found new churches, not help them mature and grow for the most part. So the Lord brought in a very eloquent man, a man with a different personality, a man with a different temperament. And Apollos could just preach the house down. He was an unbelievable orator. He was a doctor of the doctors, trained in Alexandria, one of the leading university cities of the first century. And Apollos was totally different than Paul. And he had eloquence. And he had beautiful power in his speaking. But the Lord was in it. Apollos' heart was right in the right place. He wasn't a prideful man. And he listened to Priscilla and Aquila so that he got his doctrine straight before he came to Corinth. And by the power of the Lord, the Lord used Apollos to build the church. Then Apollos was taken away. And now some other teachers have come in. And these teachers are different. These teachers are moving away from the simple, powerful message of the historical Christ that died for us. And they're beginning to talk about philosophies and ways of life. And they do it with very great skill. They talk about new truths that you need to learn in order to really progress. And they're moving off the foundation of the cross. Now, the church is all divided. There's those that are following the original founder. They're saying, we like the simplicity of Paul and the rugged, just plain everydayness of Paul. Some other people saying, oh, we like Apollos. We want power in our preaching. We want oratory in our preaching. We want great presence in our preaching. And then there's many, many others that are beginning to be deluded by this new teaching. This focus upon man's wisdom and man's philosophy. The Apostle Paul is shaking his head under the inspiration of Scripture and says, you've got it all wrong. You're worshiping the preachers. And some of those preachers are even leading you astray. He says, the problem is that you've got your eyes upon men and not upon God. Now, why shouldn't we ever follow a preacher? Why shouldn't we worship a preacher? Because I cannot do a blessed thing to make this church grow. You see, I could sit here as a preacher, and this would be foolish because it's always relative. You see, I can say, well, I'm successful. We started out here. The Lord helped us start with a little Bible study, 15 people, 16 people. And now look at what God has done. Even on a vacation Sunday, there's a great group here. And I can be really prideful about that. And I can look at you and say, man, I presented the gospel. Many of you believed in Christ and you've been born again. And many of you have grown from my ministry. And I can say, wow, what a good boy am I. I haven't done any of that. I couldn't do any of that. It's impossible. You say, oh, no, it isn't. Preachers do it all the time. Preachers build churches. Preachers get people to come. No, they don't. Preachers don't build the kingdom of God at all. In a certain sense, in the final sense, in the real sense. Look what Paul says. Why we shouldn't worship preachers. Look at verse five. What, after all, is Apollos? And notice he says not who, but what. It's always good to keep your your head right and realize you're just a what. Not a who. Now there are many stresses on who we are in Christ, but we also must not forget. That as far as building the church and ministering and causing people to be born again, we're always a what? We're always something in the hand of God, an instrument. What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. And that's what really counts. You see, when you plant a garden, what's really important it's the person that puts the seed in the ground. We're going to get all the gardens plowed up. We're going to get all the manure on there. We're going to get it all ready to go. And the important person is the person that puts the seed in the ground, right? How many of you think that's the important person? Now that is important. Gardens don't grow unless you plant seeds. So it is important. Yeah, it is important. The guy that plants the seed is very important. Because there's no garden if you don't plant the seed. I mean, you can till it all up. You can do all that work in the garden. But if you don't plant the seeds, it won't grow. Some of you say, well, that's not what's important. If you're going to get a good garden, any idiot can plant the seed. What really counts is that special touch of taking care of the soil and getting the weeds out of the garden, making sure that it's watered just right. It's the person that that, that keeps things going after the little seedlings come up. The ones that tenderly take care of those new little plants and bring them to fruition. That's the important person. Now by the way, that's what most of the quarreling in the church is about. Whether it's at the seminary, whether it's in our church, whether it's between evangelical churches, we've got one group of churches that say, we're the seed planters. Every Sunday we have people born again. We are seed planters. Man, we've got evangelism really growing in our church. We're the important ones. And you guys out there, you're not really doing anything. Then the other group responds, well, we're the edifiers. We make people grow and mature. We're the important ones. How foolish can you get? That's what Corinth was doing. That's what we do. In fact, as I travel, I see in the evangelical church a tremendous competition between the seed planters and the plant cultivators, the evangelists and the edifiers, as if they're mutually exclusive clubs. The truth of the matter is, neither one of them is really that important, because who really makes gardens grow? I want everyone to tell me, who makes gardens grow? Tell me real loud, who makes gardens grow? Tell me even louder, who makes gardens grow? Who makes churches grow? Tell me real loud. So who do we praise? Who do we sing to? God, that's right. The kids are better than the adults. They've got it. That's a very important point. It's such a simple point. But that's what we forget. See, some of you forget that. I don't make this church grow. And if you think I make this church grow, then we've got the Corinthian problem. Because I don't make this church grow. And you'll break me in half if you think that I do, because I can't make anything grow. I can preach and I can teach. And and our elders and deacons can do that, but none of us can make it grow. And all I want you to focus on that. It's so important to realize that we don't follow a man. We don't follow this teacher or that teacher. We follow Christ alone. And the Apostle Paul has such a handle on that. He says, listen, I planted the church in Corinth. He had a great comprehension of he was gifted by the Lord. The Lord did give him a powerful gift of evangelism. But he realizes it's all the Lord's gift. And Apollos was not a bad man. He was an excellent, good man. He was a marvelous tool in the hands of God. And we could praise God for the gift of Apollos. But both Paul and Apollos, unlike so many preachers, realized it's all of God. God's the only one that can be praised. I've told you this in the past. Dear old Sophie Muller, that dear lady down in Columbia. When I was up with my dad the last time. He says, well, Sophie's finally been found again. I said, Dad, what do you mean she's been found? Well, we didn't know where she was for a month. She'd been in the jungles of Colombia, just out there somewhere. Over 300 churches founded by this little girl that's about four foot eleven in the jungles of Columbia. If anyone was a great, great believer, powerfully used of the Spirit, a girl that mission board after mission board turned down, finally one accepted her. She went out almost on her own. She's had her her teeth kicked in. She's stayed up in trees trying to escape religious opposition. At a big rally they had for all of her Indians, about 17,000 Indians from all over the jungle came For a great big rally, like I've shared with some of you in the past, they brought doctors down, they brought dentists down, and they ministered to them physically during the day, and then about seven evangelists proclaimed the gospel to them at night. Do you know that dear Sophie would not even get up on the platform? A friend of mine said, Sophie, please come up. The Indians want to just express their love to you. And she said, I wouldn't put my hand on the ark. Now what did she mean by that? I wouldn't put my hand in the ark. She said, who am I? Who am I as a a woman in God's family to take that kind of honor and acclaim from these Indians? That's what we need more of. So many of us as preachers are willing to put our hand on the ark. We're willing to take the praise. That's why Moses couldn't enter the promised land. Not because he was some angry guy. Not because he murdered an Egyptian down in Egypt. In fact, Hebrews says that that wasn't a wrong thing that he did there. The reason Moses couldn't go into the land is because he took the credit that God deserved. He took the praise of his people. Instead of just speaking to the rock, he struck it. And he indicated, I have the power to bring the water. And I can strike out and the water will flow. And the command of God was against that. The Lord said, Moses, you speak to the rock so all the people will know that it's my power. And Moses took just a little incy bit of the glory and the majesty that was due God. And God said, you can't enter the promised land in this life. Now, the Lord's not cruel. He let him in the promised land and he was in the promised land in the transfiguration conversation. But to forever warn us against this worship of the preacher. The Apostle Paul says, only God makes things grow. Before you come to church on Sunday morning, I want you to say, why am I going to church today? And I want you to say, I'm going to go to church. One of the dominant reasons I'm going to go to church today is that I want to praise God. I want to tell God how much I love Him. I want to tell God how much I appreciate Him. I want to learn more about Him. I don't want to go because I want to please anybody in the group. I don't want to go because someone might call me and ask me whether why I wasn't there. Don't do anything in your Christian life because someone else is trying to get you to do it. You be free. Don't do anything to please me. Don't do anything to please your husband or your wife. You do all that you do to please your Savior because only He can make things grow. And so the Apostle Paul says, What after all is Apollos? What after all is Paul? They're only servants. And I want you to remember that. That's what a preacher is. A preacher is just a servant. And that's where we get the word deacon from. Church leadership always flows out of this service, this servant mentality. A slave of Christ. I am God's servant for you. Which means that I'm your servant. I have responsibilities of leadership because the Lord has anointed me to do that, made me an elder along with other men in our church. But that leadership is to serve you, not to control you. That leadership is to build you, not to dominate you. And if that leadership ever forgets that, if I ever forget that, if you ever forget it, then we begin to move into the Corinthian area. The mark of immaturity is preacher worship It's a humanistic tendency according to verses 3 and 4 when Paul says you're acting just according to men and the results will be that it produces jealousy and quarreling in the church. We are to praise God, that true author of growth. Preachers are only servants. Preachers have the same purpose. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. You know, I have a great dream for the churches of the Lord that all the churches that preach the gospel will come to the point when they can say we are one. You see, that's what Satan's trying to get us to do. He's trying to get us to see ourselves as the Bible church versus the Baptist church. Or the Baptist church versus the Bible church. Or the Bible church versus another church. Jesus is horrified by that. It's like tearing the body apart. It's a horrible thing to do that. Wherever you find people that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus with a pure heart, you're one with them. You see, I'm not in competition with the other pastors in town. We all have one purpose. Those pastors. Those pastors that believe in this book as I believe in it. Now, not all do. You must understand where to draw the line. Not every preacher believes in the Holy Gospel. Not every preacher believes that Christ is the only sacrifice for sin. Not every preacher believes in the bodily historical resurrection of Christ. Not every preacher believes that Jesus is coming back again. We're not one with false teachers. But we are one with all those who believe in the apostolic doctrine. And I believe as we move into the last days that we need to think very, very clearly about what that doctrine is. The word of the cross and what it really means because that's the basis of fellowship. My younger brother Ron, Christine, does a lot of singing. And one of the biggest things she has to decide in our ministry is how do you know who to identify with? How do you know what churches to sing in? How do you know where you can have a real witness? And it's very hard. Because it used to be that labels told you what was in the can. That's not true anymore. So the other day, Ron and I had a long talk about the word of the cross and the centrality of justification by faith alone. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying, I am one with Apollos. So don't put us at odds with one another. You see, don't do that even in our town. Don't put one preacher against another. Those that genuinely believe in the Gospel. Don't put one pastor in the Dallas area against another pastor in your area. I'm just thrilled to death. I'm thrilled to death for those that are powerfully proclaiming the Gospel on the radio. I would motivate you. Listen to Chuck Swindoll as often as you can. Listen to John MacArthur. Listen to Charles Stanley. Those men are one with me. We're not in competition at all. It's fantastic to be on the same team, isn't it? Man, we're one big, gigantic, unbelievably gifted, powerful family of God. We're all on the same team. And it's marvelous. You know, when I used to play quarterback, I've used this illustration in the past, but I never got on my lineman Back in the hall, I never said... Boy, I'm jealous of you. You weigh 275 pounds. And look at me. And you're six foot four. I hate you. Man, you're so big and you're, you lift those weights. Man, you press over 300. Man, I can't even get 150 off the ground. I never used to ball them out in the huddle like that. Man, when we got in the huddle, man, I'd pat those big linemen on the head. I'd say, man, protect me. Boy, did I love those guys. And man, these great big lanky ends. I was jealous during the week, but never during a game. I always wanted to be six foot four, I'll be honest. Man, I want to be six foot four. The linebackers wish I was six foot four, too. I was always hitting linebackers right in the stomach with the ball. Because when I came through, that's where I would come out. And I was so short, I'd throw the ball hard in a big line would go, ooh, like this, a linebacker coming in. I always wanted to be taller. I never could see what was going on in the field. But I was never jealous of an end. One of my best friends in high school, six foot two, lanky, run down 100, under 10. I used to love him because we won with him. I didn't have to see anything. I just had to throw the ball 45 yards way up in the air, let him run, touchdown. Everybody cheers. We're all on the same team. You've got the point. It's a point that we've made before, but we need to make it again and again and again. I have a tremendous sense of Apollos, Paul. The church today, all those that genuinely believe in the gospel, we have the same purpose. We're on the same team. And what is that one purpose? It's to see you as believers grow to maturity in Christ. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take all the gifted members of God's family to grow to maturity in Christ. Preachers have the same purpose. Those that genuinely believe in the gospel. Verse 9. It says that each of us will be rewarded according to our own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. We're going to go on from here, we're going to talk about the rewards. And a lot of you as believers, there's a tremendous debate exactly what Paul means by rewards. In chapter 3, I want you to understand that the rewards have to do with those preachers that faithfully build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the cross. A lot of times this passage is turned and applied to every individual life of the believer. And you begin to wonder, is this particular action going to produce a reward? What are the rewards? And we make it kind of a a checkpoint to try to figure out how to live our individual personal lives. Now in Corinthians, Paul does talk about individual rewards and we will get there. But in 1 Corinthians 3, his entire focus is on spiritual leadership, proclaimers of the gospel, preachers in God's family. And he talks about a group of preachers, including himself, that are true, faithful proclaimers of the word of the cross. He talks about another group of Corinthian preachers that are believers. They're believers, but they're moving away from the word of the cross and they're building the church with inferior material. They're going to lose their reward, and what the loss of reward will be, their work, their life work, as far as eternity is concerned, will be nothing. They might build monstrous buildings here, they might have unbelievable finances here, but when Jesus Christ evaluates their work, it'll all be burned up. That will be the loss of reward. Their work in this life will not have eternal significance. Then there's a third group of preachers labeled false teachers. And these teachers will be destroyed eternally. They will be judged and sent to eternal damnation because they did not build on the cross at all. They did not believe in the cross at all. Instead, all they were were fleshly human beings without any gift of the spirit. So the context of chapter three is how are you building the church? I'd like you to read that. I want you to ask yourself, how are we building our church? What are we building it upon?
1: This question of what are we building the church upon is a question that churches across our land need to ask themselves. This is Dave Wertzen, and this brings to a close our discussion from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about the cure for church demolition. And this question that I've raised, what are we building our church upon? And as we've exposed how the Apostle Paul spoke out very strongly against religious leaders who built on other foundations than the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I couldn't help but think of how penetrating the Apostles' analysis is of some of the needs that are in our own day. We live in a day where we have super churches and super pastors and super programs and yet often it can be a veneer. It can be built on just human business techniques and human motivational techniques and human power instead of a a very honest and straightforward presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about not using good organization You know that I'm not talking about not being very careful in the way that we have our churches organized. But I believe that the word of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 needs to ring out. I just find it that it is easy for us to slip away from the foundation of the cross of Jesus Christ.